0: Enjoy Friday night dinners at the American German Club. Doors open at 5 p.m. Dinner, dessert, and coffee services are served from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. only. There's a live van, full bar with liquor and wine, including German and domestic beers on tap. $10 for admission, and dinner is just $12. Visit AmericanGermanClub.org for more info.
1: You know, it's interesting. When the press conference started with the Eddie Johnson, the superintendent of the Chicago Police Department, you know, I immediately got a text from someone saying, oh, this is a political hack, you know, because he, of course, um, talked about uh, the despair when um, there's hate, real hate crimes that take place, and it looked like he was going in a very uncomfortable direction, but boy, did he turn that around. He turned it around when he said, uh, this is this is awful, this is the most undeserved thing, and what it does is it makes real victims... Um, less believable that now there are going to be way more doubts when people make reports. And just because you have a celebrity, you know, the first thing that uh, hobo said, as we were watching the timeline be developed by the lead investigator, I said, wow, you know, you really, ha- you can't get away with anything anymore because there are cameras everywhere. And these investigators know where to look and uh, Hobo looked at me and said, they wouldn't have done this if it was me that made this claim. And he's absolutely right. They wouldn't have done it if my husband, Billy, made this claim. And he could have used the uh, race card if he chose to. Um, it is the celebrity status that afforded this guy national and in really international news coverage. And that's what makes this um, publicity stunt, as the police chief referred to it, all the more egregious. Because the real victims of hate crimes are usually not celebrities they are people who have very little uh, protection from evil and the police are really their only protection from evil and now you have police who are going to be um, second guessing reports of these kinds of events and I, i don't think anybody especially me Doubts that there are people in this country that, uh, you know, really have, uh, bad motives all the time and, and would do terrible things. Uh, and therefore, it's not that I don't believe this kind of action might happen. I certainly do believe it might happen, but I didn't believe it happened in this instance. I didn't believe it because you had someone who literally had uh you know spent the last uh 2 years actively um becoming a political pundit in his own right and therefore he was su- suspect from the very start what made it even more unbelievable and I think this is where the investigators uh, really showed um their Well, I think they were very, very responsible in the way this was handled. But from the onset, and there were enough people, you know, listening to the show that day, and there have been enough people who heard my interview, even with my son, whose website was the second to report this story and actually the biggest uh, to report it. They found it on an obscure website and then they followed up on it with their reporting at TMZ. But I spoke to Derek that day on the air. And I said, isn't there something about this story that just doesn't ring true? And he said, we're just reporting the story. And, um, you know, I understood that. But it it wasn't even just like a, a vague, uneasy feeling in me. I was almost sure. That there were too many things about the story that uh, just didn't make sense to me. First and foremost, you're, you're talking about a day where it was a night where it was two, two or three degrees. Um, you're talking about uh, an event that is supposed to have taken place in in Chicago, which is not a city that sleeps at the, at two o'clock in the morning. Um, you're talking about a very unlikely um, set of circumstances. You're talking about two perpetrators who uh, a person, when you see the masks, because now they have videotape of these guys buying the masks in some beauty shop the day before the attack, or that day, the day of the attack. And when you see these masks, and they had bought gloves as well, there is absolutely no way that you could um, determine the race of the people who were under those masks. It literally only has two holes where the eyes are. I don't even know they sell masks like this. These masks... Um, I've never seen one like this before. Um, I guess they existed in the old days. Maybe they're Antifa style masks or something. But uh, once you see that and you begin to unravel this story, it is—it is, it is just—it's—it's fr- it's frightening to me. You have um, a publicity stunt that literally tied up a hundred investigators in a city where there's rampant gun violence. Where these. Uh, detectives should be out there uh, developing leads on crimes that affect the citizens of Chicago and not some uh, movie star who did it. And now, you know, uh, he did it because he didn't think he was getting paid enough. He wrote himself that racist homophobic letter, sent that to the studios. And when it didn't get him enough attention, he hatched this plot and he used racism and homophobia which are scourges okay Um, nobody wants uh, to live in a in a country or live in a city that's got that kind of racism and homophobia on the streets at any hour of the day or night and he used that he used that to his advantage the pain and anger of racism to further his career i mean that's as as that's as despicable as, as anything I've ever heard of. It really is. I mean, um, not only has he destroyed that career, which was a good career, um, but he has literally tarnished every single individual who, uh, who may now really need to report an incident and won't be believed, or there'll be what much more reluctance to believe their stories. It is, um, it's just very, very sad. And, and I'm going to talk a little bit about a uh, an article that I read in the American Thinker that is really, um, it, it has everything to do with this Jesse Smollett case, but it really has everything to do with the uh, irresponsible, and that's what I'm going to call it, as Lara Logan said last night, an irresponsible media, news media, that doesn't even ask For a source or a second source before they run with the story. So um, it is a brilliant article by uh, Rabbi Dove Fisher in The American Thinker, and I will talk about that as soon as we get back from this break. I'm still trying to wrap my mind around this. What? I've talked to you about it after something we did yesterday then don't do that in the middle of the show
0: sorry it's my hispanic side coming out we you know that we get we have hand movement it's like the italians
1: but but then i react immediately because i think there's something wrong no no (sighs) there's
0: there's something wrong but not with today
1: (laughs) okay that's great now i can worry about what it is um what was he thinking? I mean, I, I, the more I, I examine this, and the more that comes out, I just uh, and by the way, I just saw a, a uh, pundit on CNN who goes by the name of what is it? I can't even read her name something Martin. Ariva?: Ariva.: Ariva R- Martin, R- a civil R- rights R- attorney, was on CNN to, just now, and she said these were her words that Jesse Smollett did it for the Benjamins. Didn't we just go through an entire, uh, please stop saying that, Benjamins? I mean, um, Jussie happens to be half Jewish. Um, But on CNN, you're allowed to say that. You just wouldn't want to say it on any other network. Uh, It's just unbelievable to me. It all is. Um, the, The idea that someone would claim they were a victim of a hate crime and then Literally, for me to find out that it was all about money, do really do people really believe they can get away with this stuff? I mean, how does someone get to a point in their life where they don 't know right from wrong
0: when you don 't have good friends, I told you that 's a horrible idea that's I what guess
1: <laughs> does something happen in our minds to convince us that it 's okay that we 're doing the right thing. What are, you know, what are some of the examples of how people do this in everyday life? I was thinking about that. You know, you can convince yourself that you can continue smoking cigarettes and it's not going to, you know, uh, cause cancer or COPD in your life. But it's a it's dumb. And yet you have to admit it's dumb. And then the idea that everybody believes everything they hear. And we keep being told that you have to believe the victim. You know, if she said it happened, then it happened. If he said it happened, then it happened. And if the victim happens to be a woman or a black or Hispanic or um, any kind of minority or any kind of beleaguered group uh, with one of these titles, then you have to automatically believe them. And, you know, it's like mindless decision-making that goes on. Let me tell you something else. Politicians who don't uh, spend a little more time thinking about this are going to walk into a lot of minefields. Uh, Cory Booker and Kamala Harris uh, are going to have to uh, not just walk back what they have said over this, but they're literally going to have to um, apologize, in my opinion. You, you chose to believe a story that was 100% fabricated and you wanted to wait till all the details were in. Once we had a suspicion that it was totally fabricated, then you were ready to wait. You should have waited from the onset. That's all. You know, this is, uh, uh, we, we got we to gotta change some things. We have, to, we have to insist that there be sourcing before anybody runs with these stories. I mean, I'm, I'm convinced. I, I was on the air when this story broke. And I said to myself, well, this is a big story because it's celebrity. But within moments of reporting it, I made it clear to the audience that I had no idea if this event had happened, but it seemed highly implausible to me. Okay, sometimes my instincts are just right on. Stay where you are. We'll be back at 11, uh, just a couple of minutes. But one thing for sure is um, there is something that has to happen, or we're going to get bowled over by this uh, incoming freight train, as David Catron uh, called it today. And uh, you know his his article was about uh, can we can we expect Nick Sandman to uh, save freedom of of uh, of the press or actually what it's supposed to mean and not what it is. I also had some other subjects that I really wanted to talk about today, but it seems as though this is almost too important to ignore. Um, and I, I don't ignore stories that I think are very important. Um, one thing I know for sure, there is a tendency in this country right now to overstate... The relevance of a, an allegation, because that's what these things are—they're allegations—and we have turned allegations into convictions in the court of public opinion, and it's very risky because you're going to have um, you're going to have people who will take advantage of this. Um, you see it right now. You know we're watching something unfold that is so uncomfortable. To even have to talk about, you know, that many people are trying to, uh, you know, get all indignant about it. And I certainly, uh, my instincts were very, very good on this. But I got to tell you, I find this overwhelmingly sad and embarrassing. (laughs) Embarrassing for my country. Because we are a country of really good people. (laughs) You know, but we've gotten to a stage where we will do anything to further our own political ideas and agenda. And that's so obvious to me. Um, you know, they're talking about whether or not this has to do with, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, the, the, the reason that Jussie Smollett did this outrageous thing is because he was unhappy or dissatisfied with his salary. That just doesn't seem like the whole answer does it? To me, what's even more frightening is did he do it because he hates Trump and he hates Trump supporters? Because that's the feeling that I get. That's what I almost immediately saw as problematic in the story that this guy's talking about. I came down hard on 45. You know, this is very important to him, this, uh, you know, hate Trump stuff. And whenever you're motivated by hate, you're not thinking clearly. You know, when I act out of hate or I'm looking for vengeance or anything of that nature, the odds are I'm going to make a mistake. That it, You know, it just goes with the territory. I don't think clearly. I'm not able to... Uh, to take a breath and to wait for the facts. And I inevitably find out that um, I rushed to judgment. This is a good country, you know. Um, no, it's better than good. This is a country that has amazing, um, an amazing way. Of righting the wrongs. It's offensive to me that we accept so quickly any kind of uh, story that ties to an agenda that uh, one side or the other wants. I, I feel the same way about conservative media as I do about the liberal media. There's just so much less of it that it doesn't end up getting in the way. But I look at these stories and I realize that that they all have one common thread. And that thread is this holier-than-thou unacceptance of uh, Donald Trump as president. It's it's really scary, at least for someone like me, who believes that uh, we're a good people. And yet has to deal with these kinds of events all the time. Has to listen to the Andrew McCabe's and the Jim Comey's and, and and just ugh Racist hoax are remarkably accepting. And yet here it is this is not a country that is racist anymore. I'm sorry. I have to say it. We're the most diverse society on earth. And we have been for a long time. You know, tell me how many black people you've seen become the prime minister of France or England or Germany or Spain or Russia. How many uh, black people have been the ambassador to the United Nations in other countries or or the foreign ministers, which would be the same as the secretary of state here, or the defense minister, which would be the same as the secretary of defense or the justice minister, which would be the same as an attorney general? Any cabinet post. You look at America and we have more minority groups that rise to the top than any other country. How many non-ethnic Chinese have ever gotten high positions in in China? None. Non-ethnic Japanese in Japan? None. We are an accepting country, a fair country. Yeah, we had slavery. But more than 300,000 men gave their lives to end that 150 years ago. Slavery ended. It's part of history, like the Holocaust now. It is history. It's something to remember. It's something from which to learn so that it never happens again. And it is over. You know, Dove Fisher wrote a brilliant piece today about how, we are um, we are the first country, the first people that um, accept diverse groups a, d- a diverse society. We associate each one of us with people of all different political and and ethnic and gender oriented stripes. I have liberal friends, although many of them uh, you know get all upset and want to walk away. I have friends in all races. I have friends who practice every which kind of religion, and no kind of religion. Some, because in an open society like America, you're going to you're going to have exposure to people who are not like you. But we don't have uh, George Wallace and Lester Maddox around anymore. Robert Byrd, the uh, KKK exalted cyclops who became a Democrat senator, they're not here anymore. They're they're gone from the scene. And if you, um, if you read some of the despicable, hateful stuff that's on Twitter and other forms of social media, you would think that we were still uh, a terrible, terrible, bigoted society, but it's not true. We have 300 million people in this country, but hatred is a very small part of who we are. Yeah, I have not met, and this is the truth. Dove Fisher pointed it out in his article today. I have not met a conservative in the last, I'm going to say, 15 or 20 years who cared a whit about somebody's color. It's just not part of their mindset. That's why you could have, uh, you know, Amia Ham, um, what was her name out there? Mia Ham was the one in Utah. Mia Love. Sorry, Mia Hamm was the soccer player. Mia Love. Um, you could have her get elected. You could have Alan West elected. You could have Barack Obama elected. You know, that that's who we are. But there were, um, you know, if you look at the statistics, even the ADL statistics and stuff like that, where they tell you, oh, well, there were, you know, there was a big uptick in anti-Semitic incidents Well, yeah, but it was primarily because of one guy, one mentally ill guy who sent out 245, uh, you know, uh, threats against Jewish locations in America. Racial incidents. You know, the data tells us that with 300 million people, if all you see are 8,000 reported hate crimes in a population of 300 million, this is not a hateful place. And that's what is so scary. I mean, there are those who, who trade in racism and hate. Al Sharpton, for one. Louis Farrakhan, for two. Tamika Mallory, Linda Sarsour. You know, they have all the uh, racist bones in their body. Not, not the other side. You know, what they get for their racism is like a show on MSNBC. <laughs> you know, they get applauded. Because, you know, we're a warm nation. We don't ask much. Just that you respect our laws and keep your hands off of us. And look, you know, um, I I don't like Don Lemon. I don't like Ana Navarro. I don't like Rachel Madcow. And to be honest, I didn't like Barack Obama. But I never hated them. I never, uh, because of their color or because of their ethnicity, that's not why I don't like Ana Navarro. I just don't agree with them. And I don't hear people like me ever saying uh, the N-word or, you know, if we say the spick word, it's because we feel it empowers us. And that's why, look, you know, this whole um, eagerness to find some hate in America is grotesque to me. We're the most diverse society on planet Earth And we have been for decades. If the 9-11 attacks had occurred anywhere else in the world, there would have been a wave of anti-Arab, anti-Muslim violence that was unprecedented. You did not see that in uh, George Bush's America. The same America that once upon a time locked up Japanese Americans, okay, wouldn't do that today. Because they know the difference between law-abiding Muslim Americans and the, the haters, the Hamas's and the, uh, Hezbollah supporters. We know the difference, the Fatah and Jihad type types. You know, we're the country that builds soccer courts at Gitmo. Anyway, all right, let's take a bl- break and we'll be right back. And I think that's an important fact, you know, that even after 9-11, you didn't see a wave of violence in this country towards uh, Arab Americans or Muslim Americans of any kind. As a matter of fact, we welcomed in more than ever. None of this changed after uh, the Chechen Muslim terrorists bombed the Boston Marathon or uh, uh, the the two out there in San Bernardino uh, pulled off that Christmas attack. Or when Omar Mateen murdered 49 people here in Florida at an Orlando gay bar. We still welcome and accept people of all societies as long as they come here legally. As long as they participate uh, constructively in our republic. Even when we have people who don't like us. Like the uh, people who live in that Somali Muslim immigrant community that gave us uh, uh, Ilhan Omar. You know, we don't have a religion test in this country, although they're sure making it seem like we do when they ask the kinds of questions of federal judiciary nominees that they ask about their Catholicism and their Christian beliefs. And there are certainly no ethnicity tests. Although we could say that Harvard and a lot of the other major universities do have secret admissions policies that keep out qualified Asian American applicants. We are the most Accepting a diverse society on earth. Period. It is a lie that racism and anti Semitism are on a dramatic rise. That lie gets stirred by a cynical left movement in this country. They found pay dirt. You know, this is if you can divide voters into neat pockets of identity politics, oh, it really works. President Obama showed that he could beat a Republican. If he could somehow run a close race among all but one constituency and then carry more than 90% of the uh, minority or African-American vote and a big part of the Hispanic vote. And then uh, Hillary Clinton tried to replicate that divide and conquer strategy. Um, setting people against one another, gays against straights, women against men, Muslims against Christians, Jews and Hispanics against Caucasians, blacks against whites. That was her basket full of deplorables. Crap. It might have worked for Obama, but it didn't work for her. And that's why, uh, you know, we fall so easily for these... uh, fake racist hoaxes. And when you look at the rise of cable TV and social media, that was supposed to make my life so much better. You know, once they told me it was the light bulb, then it was the car, then it was radio and TV and air conditioning. And now we can watch a zillion shows and watch news all day and night. We can find friends from years ago and drop them notes and forward them email jokes and Facebook or tweet that we're eating spaghetti and what's up. And, uh, you know, they've set us back. Social media meant that anyone with a keyboard could ignite lies that spread like wildfire. And twenty-four-seven cable news means that now you can make a whole lot of money by identifying these little carved-out niche audiences and appealing to those targeted sentiments. And it's crazy. The masses crave TMZ. It's the sensationalist newspapers that are sold at the supermarket checkout counter, not applied mechanics and philosophy today. So MSNBC knows their niche and Fox News took the conservative viewership and CNN abandoned any pretense of being centrist and moved all out to the left just to keep viewers watching. More overheated, more sensationalist. It's against that backdrop that you see these hate hoaxes were sprung.
0: Enjoy Friday night dinners at the American German Club. Doors open at 5 p.m. every Friday night of the year. Dinner, dessert, and coffee services are optional. Serve from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. only. There's a live band from 7 to 11 playing ballroom, standards, party music, and German traditional. Full bar with liquor and wine, including German and domestic beers, on tap. $10 for admission and dinner is just $12. Visit AmericanGermanClub.org for more information.
1: Welcome back, Joyce Kaufman with you. And, um, I again, without a call screener, so I'm going to depend on Hobo to bring my guest up. Rahil Raza from the Clarion Project is on the line. Always a pleasure to speak with you. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you. I'll tell you. I mean, I don't even know where to begin. I guess I'm going to begin with the, uh, ISIS bride who wants to come home to America. And, uh, how, how does, how do these stories even happen when you think about it, Rahil? Well,
0: people get radicalized, young people especially. And as you can see, most of the people who have gone across to fight uh, for ISIS, with ISIS, have been uh, younger people. And according to the statistics of the FBI and CIA, uh, almost a 100 of these young people have been from the United States, both Muslim and not Muslim. So this is um, a a problem that exists, and, uh, you know, some people think that it couldn't happen to them. But we at the Clarion Project know that radicalization can affect anyone, any child at any age. So we have created a Preventing Violent Extremism training program, and I have actually been traveling with this. I just did five presentations in uh, Texas. Wow. And, that uh, they were very well received because it's a form of education and awareness that many people are not aware of.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, I saw a recent study that said, uh, that predominantly we're seeing, um, the most radicalization taking place in the very district where Representative Ilhan Omar hails from in Minnesota, which is home to a lot of, uh, Somalian refugees.
0: Well, yes, I saw that statistic as well, but this does not mean that it is only happening in that area. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are, um, it, you know, um, there are uh, investigations going on in all 50 states. It can mm-hmm. happen anywhere to anyone. If you go back in time and look at how the drug gangs and these cults used to recruit young people, the process is very similar. Except that this is a different kind of a radicalization. And we have cre- created this training program to present it to parents, teachers, law enforcement, counselors, anyone who comes into contact with young people. And because we know that children can be radicalized at a very young age as well, we want to create this awareness and, you know, have them be able to reach the youth before they get on the conveyor belt to radicalization. Because once they are radicalized, it's very difficult to get them
1: off. Yeah. Uh, you know, one of the things that um, concerns me is we sort of normalize um, violence in this country. So uh, that makes, uh, you know, radicalization even more possible. I mean, unless you know uh, the horrors of, of uh, terrorism, how, how would you fight back against it? It sounds almost like a video game to these kids.
0: Yes. So, you know, with the culture of violence that exists today... We have our young people who are much more vulnerable uh, to these kind of manipulations than they ever were before. And mm-hmm. the extremists use this to their advantage. Mm-hmm. They prey on uh, the Internet, they troll the Internet, and they find young people who are isolated, who are angry, who are vulnerable and they then um you know cook them into their own ideology and before you know it that uh, over a period of time that young person has been uh, radicalized so a lot of people don't understand what it means to be radicalized our training program uh you know speaks about how radicalization works the process of recruitment it talks about how to identify the tendencies in a child that would lead them uh, to extremism and how to meet the emotional and psychological needs of these children because it's not only the culture of violence but it is also the dissemination of the family unit mm. so we focus very much on the fact that families need to be very conscious of uh, having dialogue with their children Mm-hmm. speaking to them on openly and honestly about the dangers that lurk out there and, you know, giving them some sort of an awareness, which used to happen in school, uh, but, you know, they don't, because of political correctness, they will not speak about extremism or radicalization in, in schools anymore.
1: Mm-hmm. What do you recommend that parents do? I mean, I have people listening to the show, parents and grandparents right now who want to be alert.
0: Well, the best thing they can do at the moment is that this Preventing Violent Extremism is the first of its kind. Mm -hmm. And they should go to the Clarion Project website, especially the page that says PVE, Preventing Violent Extremism. There is reading material there that they can uh, look at, they can try to understand. And, of course, this training is offered free. So, uh, you know, they can um, they, they can sign up for the training. The Clarion Project is also going to be producing webinars in which they speak to psychologists and counselors who will give advice to parents on how to deal with the situation if they see signs of radicalization in their child. Because it has to be handled very uh, carefully. Mm -hmm. It has to be handled very diplomatically, otherwise uh, they alienate the the children, and that's exactly what the recruiters are looking for. Mm -hmm. So there is advice on how to speak to the children, what kind of narrative, what kind of language to use, and then to hopefully bring them back into their fold before the extremists can get to them.
1: Yeah, I can, I can think of of some cases where you're right. The uh, Americans who we uh, had no um, real biological or genetic connection to the 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 radicals abroad, who were radicalized in this country because of their just disaffection, um, and you know I think yeah, of the young absolutely man. Absolutely,
0: yeah. this is what they're looking for: kids who are bullied, who feel ostracized, who are not popular with their peers. Kids who are abandoned either because of an absent family member or because of broken families, um, kids who have mental health issues. Uh, it was uh, quite horrific to recently read that they are now targeting kids who have autism because you know they are not able to judge good and bad uh, as clearly as as other kids. So every child can be uh, at risk and uh, you know as we look at a virus or a disease we know that isolating it acknowledging it and then finding a cure is very important but first of all we have to understand that it's there uh it's not a question of uh this is not our problem because you know one radicalized youth is one too many and they can influence others and the reality is as we look around we see that there are many young people who are radicalized into different kinds of radicalization. You know, a child can be radicalized by race supremacists, by religious extremists, by social militarization, by drug gangs, by cults. And the history shows us that this has happened. So if we you know that there is a problem, we want to have prevention uh, before it can happen because once it takes place, it's uh, virtually impossible to bring them back.
1: Or you get something like we're seeing with this young woman who uh, goes off for a period of time and then realizes what a mistake she's made. But, it, but by that time, um, she's done a lot of damage, a lot of uh, damage to herself and to her child
0: well, that's the the issue that we are talking about, that Mm -hmm. by that time it's too late. Mm -hmm. And so we are creating this training program as an awareness tool, as an educational tool, hoping to provide counselors, teachers, parents the tools in which to look for the signs and then to be able to deal with it, which doesn't mean that everyone will be successful. But at least an awareness of the problem is half the problem solved. Have you had a lot of,
1: yeah, have you had a lot of, you know, uh, organizations? I mean, primarily, I would think that schools and, uh, you know, therapists would want this kind of training. Yeah.
0: Well, yes, we've had. So I was in Austin where I, I presented this to the police department because, you know, law enforcement needs to be uh, aware of these signs as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I spoke to parents. I spoke to religious leaders uh, because this is something that lurks everywhere. And anyone who, who is a parent or anyone who deals with children in any way, is uh, is going to gain from this training, and this is why we are providing it free, and it is available for information on the website of the Carian Project, which is www.carianproject.org forward slash pve for Preventing Violent Extremism, and there they can look at the information. They can also see the trailer of a documentary that the Clarion Project is producing about how kids are indoctrinated with hate and with violence at a very, very young age.
1: Wow, you really, uh, you know, um, I got concerned when I hear you say they're targeting young kids and even children who have mental or emotional or psychological disorders because, boy, that's uh, going to be tough to uncover.
0: Well, yes it's uh, It's about ideas, it's about playing with the mind, mm-hmm. so it is a very difficult path to be on. Uh, you know, it's not a physical manifestation. They're not telling these young people to pick up a gun and kill someone. Right. Although those guns are available, what they're doing is subtly and very carefully indoctrinating them with hate for other people. And, you know, when you teach young children hate, it's very easy for them to harm the target of that hate. Mm-hmm. So, We need to be able to reach out and turn that hate into something else. We need to provide an alternate narrative for children who are being taught this. And they need to be able to deal with these emotional and psychological issues. So, you know, it's a very huge long-term project. But someone has to start somewhere. And so we have taken this on to at least provide the education, create the awareness, and over a period of time, provide the tools that will help uh, parents and educators to be able to deal with this problem.
1: Well, thanks so much, Raheels, first and foremost, for bringing it to my attention. And then I can help to get it out there in the public sphere so that people can do uh, at least check out the website to see um, for yourself, if some of these things are are manifesting themselves in your own homes, in your own schools, and your own communities. Thank you so much, yes. Ra. Always My a
0: pleasure. Thank uh, you for having me. Uh, a great day.
1: you too. Always a pleasure. All right, we got to take a quick break. Um, we are we have confirmed now that uh, Jesse Smollett is in custody. He'll have a bond hearing at one thirty, which I guess is taking place right now. And we'll keep you updated with any news on the story. Still kind of reeling from all of this. uh, But I did want to talk about something, and I'm going to just kind of just put it out there now because I have a guest coming in at noon. The Eighth Amendment prohibition against excessive fines and fees applies to states as well as the federal government, according to a ruling yesterday out of the Supreme Court, opening a whole new way to challenge these ridiculous forfeitures, um, this is good stuff, you know. Um, It's a decision that hands a major victory to critics of civil asset forfeiture, and it opens another avenue to legal challenges against the often abused practice by which states and local governments can seize cars, cash, homes, pretty much anything else that they want if they suspect it was being used to commit a crime. Now, of course, we remember the airplane that uh, Governor DeSantis almost uh, got crashed in which was a forfeiture, uh, an asset that had been taken away for some drug dealers. Unfortunately, maybe when they took out the, uh, the packages of cocaine, they might have also received, re- removed some of the functioning parts. Um, the case before the Supreme Court was Tims versus Indiana involving the seizure of a $42,000 Land Rover SUV from Tyson Timms, who was arrested in 2015 for selling heroin to undercover police officers. He pleaded guilty to his crimes and was sentenced to one year of house arrest and five years of probation. and not that seem like an awfully light sentence for that crime? Um... On top of that, the state of Indiana seized his Land Rover, which he had purchased with money that he received from his late father's life insurance payout, not with the proceeds of drug sales on the grounds that it had been used to commit a crime. He challenged that seizure, arguing that taking his vehicle amounted to an additional fine on top of the sentence he had already received. The Indiana Supreme Court rejected that argument solely because the U.S. Supreme Court had never explicitly stated that it had, uh, you know, (laughs) that the uh, Eighth Amendment applied to the states. So on Wednesday, (coughs) excuse me, on Wednesday, the high court did exactly that. For good reason, the protection against excessive fines has been a constant shield throughout Anglo-American history, wrote Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg in the opinion. She's back. Excessive fines can be used, for example, to retaliate against or chill the political speech of political enemies, she wrote, or can become sources of revenue disconnected from the criminal justice system. Indeed, some local governments do use fines and fees as a means to raise revenue, and that has created a perverse incentive to target residents. After the 2014 shooting of Michael Brown in Ferguson, Missouri, a federal investigation into the city government found that 20% of the general fund came from criminal fines, and Ferguson is not alone in relying heavily on revenue from fines making clear that the Eighth Amendment applies to the states will make it far easier to challenge unreasonable fines and fees, including not just asset forfeiture cases, but also situations where local governments hit homeowners with massive civil penalties for offenses such as unapproved paint jobs or Halloween decorations. Finally, some of these cases are already getting teed up as... um We saw in this month's issue of Reason by C.J. Charmella, a federal class action civil rights lawsuit challenging the aggressive asset forfeiture program in Wayne County, Michigan, that was filed in December, argues that the county's seizure of a 2015 Kia Soul after the owner was caught with $10 worth of marijuana should be deemed an excessive fine. More broadly, Tim's is a good reminder of how ridiculous the argument in favor of civil asset forfeiture really is. During oral arguments in November, Indiana Solicitor General got boxed into a corner by Justice Stephen Breyer, who managed to twist the government's lawyer into arguing that Indiana should be allowed to seize vehicles for as small an, an offense as driving five miles over the speed limit, which literally elicited laughter in the courtroom. After Wednesday's ruling, there's a better chance that more civil asset forfeiture cases will be laughed right out of court for being what they obviously are, unconstitutional, excessive punishments that don't fit the crime. You know, these are the kinds of cases that when they happen within um the Supreme Court, they don't always get a lot of attention. They're not the big cases. They're the cases kind of like the case that uh, my friend Fane Loesman took in front of the Supreme Court, where you challenge something small, but it tends to mean a lot bigger um on the national stage when people are able to apply it to any number of uh, similar cases. Imagine taking away some guy's car because he had $10 worth of marijuana in it you know that is uh that's an egregious at the very least and unfortunately what we're seeing more and more in this era so it's going to be fascinating my guest coming up in the next hour michael harrison he is the publisher of talkers magazine that is the magazine that literally rates radio talk hosts around the country and uh, I've been fortunate enough to make the list for the last couple of years. I'm still up in the uh, outer stratosphere. So we're kind of, I'm kind of hoping that uh, you know, that when Michael actually sees me working, he's going to decide that, uh, gee, that she really needs to be uh, knocked way up into the you know, top 25 or something. <clears throat> Not likely, but hey, it's worth a try.